Good morning. If you have this book, you can follow along with me. Luke 10, 25 through 37. says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must you do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down to the same, the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came by the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an end, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert replied. The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Jackie. Last week, Pastor John Shepherd began a new fall series, Neighboring. And what a great place to go in Scripture what we call the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. If you were here last week, you remember that John helped us to see that it begins with the most important question that anyone can ever ask. In fact, everyone answers it their own way, even if they don't verbalize these words. We all want to live we all want to live the best we can, and if we want to do it now, we want to do it tomorrow and the next day and forever. Jesus answer back to this young man who was an expert in the Jewish law. Well, what do you see in the revelation of God? What do you read in the scriptures, the Torah? And you remember he said, well, first command, 
love God with all your heart. That's vertical. Second command, love your neighbor as yourself. You didn't get to hear John last week. You should listen to it. Listen to the podcast, the website. Because for some people, Jesus should have answered differently. Like, shouldn't he have said, well, believe in me? But he didn't say that. He said, do this and you will live. It almost sounds like Jesus made a mistake, right? But he didn't, because the gospel, the good news of faith in Jesus, is really the only way that we can love God with all our hearts and love other people as well. When he said that, the young man then asked another question. But before we get there, let me remind you that this answer is something that we need to let soak down into our souls. If you're here today and you think that being a Christian is just mental assent to some facts, you are dead wrong. You are dead wrong. It will lead you to eternal death. It's not enough. It's good to start with ideas and facts and truth, but if it doesn't change the way you relate to God in immense love with the one who has immensely loved you, that spills out of your life into love for other people, then you really have not experienced eternal life. Not yet. That's why John the Apostle wrote in the book of 1 John, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so we move to the next part of the story. And here's where the young man doesn't say, well, Jesus, thank you. I do love God, and I will try to love my neighbor, and I love you. He doesn't say that. Instead, you get this defensive question where he comes back, well, who's my neighbor? You see, a question like that reveals the heart of the man, where he's trying to, uh, what do you want to say, hedge his bets? He's trying to narrow down what the command really says. Because in this day, 2,000 years ago, Judaism believed that neighbors were only your fellow Jewish people. Whether you liked them or not didn't matter, but the brotherhood got the love. Those that were apart from the brotherhood of Judaism and Jewishness were not neighbors. They were non-neighbors. This is actually written in the literature of the time. So Jesus, just like he does many times, he has to go back and correct the false interpretations that had kind of uh, grown up around God's law, and he goes back and he wants to correct this man's misunderstanding. And to do it, of course, he doesn't like say, all right, here's three points. He says, here's one story. And the story of the Good Samaritan is well known, right? I mean, the vocabulary, we even, you, you hear it in the media even. Like, so-and-so was a Good Samaritan on the interstate when someone was in need. 
Let me just remind you that when Jesus told this story, he wasn't just making up myth. He was probably reflecting something that had happened or potentially could have happened close to where he was. Um, we're going to see that uh, it says here the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is where it happened. And uh, the road still exists today, uh, not the Roman road. There's a modern road that's uh, paved and much easier to navigate. But 2,000 years ago, it was there, and it was only a 14-mile stretch. But the thing that's precarious about it is that the elevation drops from Jerusalem to Jericho about 3,000 feet. Now, if some of you uh, Easterners want to think about high mountains in the Poconos, those are only about 2,000 feet. So you're talking about 3,000 feet over a 15-mile stretch? Your ears are popping. And I've had my ears pop when I'm driving down or up. It would take about eight hours to walk this distance. Here's an aerial view of what part of the road looks like in the hills of Judea. It's um, carved out, uh, the Roman road is carved out of the side of the hill in certain places. And it was a place where you didn't want to go alone or at certain times of the day or night because it was a place where um, bandits, robbers hid out. There's caves and, uh, you know, just think of being in the inner city you pick your city, the worst part of the inner city, at night with no cell phone, alone. And so you've got this picture here of a vulnerable person who gets beat up, left for dead, and uh, what's going to happen? Is he going to die? In fact, the other players in the story are the people who should have helped. They are called priests and Levites. And in the Old Testament, the priests were the men who took care of the temple and the sacrifices directly. The Levites were the helpers of the priests. You might say they're all part of the clergy. And so here's this man left for dead, and two of the people that you would think would care enough to help, well, you know what the text says. It says they saw him, and they went away. They looked at him, a needy, bleeding, probably Jewish man. The text doesn't say, but that's the implication. They could have, and they should have, but they didn't. A hero of the story is the person 2,000 years ago, that would be the worst person to make the hero of the story. Samaritan. Uh, for a Jewish person, they wouldn't even want to say the word. Why? Because 500 years before this, during a time of upheaval in their country, the Assyrian Empire sent people from their empire to populate the land of Samaria, it was called. And these people eventually intermarried with some of the Jewish people, and they created their own religion. And they hated 
the local Jewish people, and the local Jewish people hated him. So that 500 years later, that kind of racial hatred and religious animosity still was there. Uh, do you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? That was in Samaria. And remember when Jesus comes to the well, he says, would you like some water? And she says, what? You're a Jewish man? What are you doing here? Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus himself now says, the Samaritan saw and was moved with pity, moved with compassion, and then went to help the man and to help him at such great cost. Next week, Ed Welch will be back with us and we'll talk about what that costly giving of neighboring was. So I hope you're here next week to hear that. That's the story. We get, right? I mean, there's nothing new here, but in the story is the hook. And so Jesus, at the end of the story, asks in verse 36, which of these three, right, priests, Levite, Samaritan, which do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell? And the expert in the law gives the right answer back, just like he did before. Well, uh, it's the, uh, it's, uh, and in the text, he doesn't say the Samaritan. Could it be that he couldn't even bring himself to use the word? So he says, it's the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, yes, you, that's, that's right. You, you got a correct answer again. So now go and do what you have just said. Be like the Samaritan. So is the story getting to you? What Jesus said to him applies to you. If you want eternal life, if you say you're loving God and loving your neighbor, then are you? Are you loving God? And are you really loving your neighbor like the Samaritan did? You know, uh, this past Wednesday night, our pastoral search team got together for a video conference, and our our people were up on the screen, and our potential candidate was there. And after about an hour and a half of questions that we asked him, we said, do you have any questions for us? And one of the very good questions he asked us was, uh, what are Chelton's strengths and what are its weaknesses? Well, how do you answer that in a couple sentences? And you've got nine people ready to say something. So I... I just jumped in and said, well, let me just, from a pastor's perspective, let me offer my opinion. And I went back to our church's mission statement. Remember, upward, inward, outward. And I said, we, we, we exist to worship God, and I think on Sunday mornings, we have a really great worship service. And I hope that we carry that with us through the week. Uh, and I think if we talk about nurture and caring for the body. Um, I think we're really good at that. I mean, 
if I were to ask, I'm looking around, if I, and I don't know all of you and what you're involved in, but I know many of you are plugged into ministries here where you care for other people, they care for you, and you're going back to Scripture and prayer and connecting with the Lord together. Uh, we had tapestry start off this week. Um, just yesterday, we had a men's breakfast with over 80 men coming together and having a great time. And I mean, you know, I'm going to stop, but a lot of the ministries continue, and we're really good at caring for each other. So I said to this candidate, but the third piece about reaching out and, and sharing the good news and living outside the walls of our Christian bubbles, I said, I think we, we need to, to do better there. I'm not saying we don't do anything, but I think we need to be challenged and we need to fill this building and we need to plant another church and, you know, there's, there's a lot we could do. So, how is it with you? Are you loving your neighbor? And if you say, well, okay, who is my neighbor? Well, the story's pretty simple, right? You don't need a theological degree to understand the story. It's anybody near you who has a need. It's someone you see and you don't pass by, but rather you see and that need does something inside your heart. Pity, compassion, something that says it's not the way it's supposed to be and I can do something about it. Why? Because I want to look good in other people's eyes? No, because this feels good. Well, it might feel good, but wh why the compassion? It's because you love God and you're connected to the new creation. And that new creation that's inside you just kind of itches to get out. And you want to help in whatever way you can. Big or small. So when you think about who, think about proximity. Think about where do you spend your time? Well, I know for most of us, if you work during the day and you work outside of your house or you sleep at night, think about your work. In fact, here's a good way to, uh, to think about it. This chart comes from a book that we will be talking about. You may want to get your own copy. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And the author's created this, uh, it's pretty simple, it looks like a checkerboard, right? But it, it, it puts you in the middle and it asks us to look around us in all the directions that we live. In fact, that chart is reproduced in a small scale on the very back page here, if you see it there. And in this uh, printed version in the, in the booklet, it's got an A, B, and C next to it where they suggest that you write your neighbor's name there in each one of the boxes. So let's say we're talking about where you work or where you live or where you go to school in a classroom or some sort of community where you have people around you. Think about it spatially, the person in front of you, the person behind you, and on either side. 
It's as simple as, do you know their name? And people have two names. <laughs> and some of us, it's good just to get the first name down. And then it says here, under B, write something factual about your neighbor. In other words, can you actually put down, and I know it's small here, but maybe this week, a little homework here, go home and see if you can do this with either your home neighborhood where you live or where your apartment complex is or something, or where you work. How many names, how many facts about people, and then the third, the C, you go a little deeper and say, what about their spiritual beliefs, or their sources of fear, or something else that would take a conversation to learn. You see how that's the first step. When you see somebody, what do you do? Do you try to move toward them, or do the excuses come up? Right? That's what happens to me. It's like, well, if I do that, I'm going to be late. I'm not going to have as much money if I help. I'm not sure I need another commitment. I don't want to get hurt by somebody. In fact, I don't think they like me to start with. You can, you can get all those reasons, and at the end, you're not a neighbor. You pass by. Well, why don't you stop and think about that person's need. I'll tell you just two stories. First from my wife, I have her permission to say this. Um, we have a big oak tree in our front yard that's very close to our neighbors on one side. And I don't know, this year, for some reason, the acorns are dropping so early, and there's so many. I mean, you walk on the lawn, and it's like uh, you're walking on marbles. The squirrels and the deer are just, uh, you know, it's like a smorgasbord out there. But the problem is they're also falling on the sidewalk and then on the road. You hear the car pass by and it sounds like popcorn. Well, it's also falling on the driveway and the sidewalk of our neighbor. So my wife, every day, gets our broom, and after she does our sidewalk, she does their sidewalk and their driveway. Now, we've known these folks for 30 years because we've lived together there for 30 years, and she knows that Diane has some physical issues, but she also knows that anybody could trip on an acorn and fall. In fact, my wife, a few years ago, was walking around our neighborhood, and there was a sweet, dumb ball I think, is that what it's called? You know, the spiky little things? On the sidewalk of another neighbor, and my wife fell and broke her elbow. Uh, so she is loving her neighbor as she loves herself. See that? Think about that. When you see somebody who has a need, and you say, grow up, it's your fault. No, think about your need. Okay, you have a need that's met. Maybe God will use you to meet their need. That's what causes a Christian's heart of love for God to say, God, 
you were so needy. I mean, I was so needy that you met my need. I, I, I want to meet someone else's need. It doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. And if you get into the skill of it, it can be, it can be a real game changer. Now, I'll tell you one other story about me. This week I was driving, I think, to church, and I was, yeah, I was coming down a road kind of halfway here, and it's where the road splits at the intersection. The left turn lane goes this way, and the right turn lane and straight goes this way. And for some reason, there were like six cars in the left lane, none in the right lane. The, the light was red, and it was so backed up that I wanted to turn right, but I couldn't get past this one car that was kind of blocking the lane before it opened up. So I waited, and the light was still red, and I thought, all right, it's just a gentle honk, just a tap. No, it was a, and sure enough, the car inched ahead. But it wasn't enough, and the light was still red. So again, just a little love tap on the horn, and, and sure enough, the car just inched ahead enough, and that now there was a car behind me with a right turn signal on, and we both kind of were able to slowly make it to the lane. And I thought, oh, well, that, that was nice of the person. So I thought, I'll look over, and as I'm driving, I'll just wave to them, like, thank you. You know, be a good neighbor. And I did. And she returned it with a wave, except she didn't use all her fingers. So I'm driving, watching, you know, the long line, thinking, oh, oh, I was, I was just persecuted <laughs> for being a, a good neighbor. She misinterpreted that. Oh, wow. And I was starting to feel good about my neighboring, and so I got down Bethlehem Pike a little further, and some guy turned left right in front of me, and I got on the horn. Like, <laughs> what? This is my road. You're not following my rules of the road. And, and after that, I just thought, ay, 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 how could that be? What kind of neighbor was I? Just when I was thinking, wow. Then I thought, oh, man, I blew that one, didn't I? And of course, when my wife's with me and I do something like that, I always justify it like, no, I am teaching that person to be a better driver. Well, our sin really is sneaky. Yeah, not just me, right? So what am I getting at here? Well, our neighboring is still flawed. And if I talk about neighboring near you, and then you think about the needs, as we heard prayed about today, the wars in the world, the hurricane victims, I can barely drive my car without messing up neighboring. And then I read the question again. Jesus' second question. After he told the story, the question that he asked is this. Listen to it again. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man? who fell among the robbers. 
and it said, oh, I read the question wrong. He wasn't asking, Jesus wasn't asking the man, who is your neighbor now? He was asking, what kind of neighbor are you? In other words, neighbor was not a noun out there. It was a verb, like we're calling our series, neighboring. And that's when I had to say, oh, so it's not really all about who, it's who am I? And that goes back to, do I have the compassion to do anything? Do I want to care for other people? Which drives me back to, in myself, no, but because Jesus cared for me, yes, I can say, thank you, Lord. You see it? That's what gospel neighboring is. Being overwhelmed with Jesus' pursuit of us, since when we were his enemies, he neighbored us. So how will it be for you this week? Father, thank you for stories. Thank you for our Savior who so appropriately diagnosed our need to love you with all our hearts and to love each other with all our hearts. And we want to do both of them better. Thank you for Jesus, our neighbor, who gave everything for us. In his name we pray. Amen.